0: Tonight uh, we're going to be delving into chapter 4 of 1 John, so please flip to 1 John chapter 4, and once you're there, please stand up as we read the Word of God. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I've called this the spirit test. And for those of you who thought you wouldn't have to have any more tests after you either graduated college or high school, too bad. There's lots and lots and lots of tests out there in the world, including this one that John gives us, which I've called the spirit test. So like I said, there are many types of tests in our world, some that you may not even realize you participate every day. Besides the countless school and occupational tests you might have to endure, there are many other tests that we're all familiar with. Uh, Maybe you've heard of the inkblot Rorschach psychological test, the famous Myers-Briggs personality test, those are some of the, the more popular ones. Or if you've ever been online and you've clicked that little box that says "I'm not a robot," that's a test. Believe it or not, you've passed it. I hope. Uh, that's just it's just a modern version of what's called the Turing test, uh, and it's actually designed to distinguish or discern between a robot and yourself. So, like I said, I, I hope you've passed that one. Uh, but also, there are other kind of tests and. Uh, barriers that you might have to get through. Uh, maybe when you're logging onto your phone with a passcode, social media with a password, uh, you, if you've ever needed to check your bank accounts or get into your ATM, uh, you have passcodes, passwords, pins all throughout our lives. These are all tests. These are countless tests that we might not even think of. But there's, there's one more here in 1 John chapter 4 that we are prompted to participate in a very, very different kind of test than the others that I've mentioned. So in these few verses, John lays out a, a few simple criteria in discerning or testing spirits. After three chapters of contrasting the behavior between believers and non-believers, John digs into root cause. He has written out clear guides on the actions and attitudes and desires of, of people on those who love God and on those who would claim God's name, and yet they live out a different value system. We should see these as the results of something deeper, the outcropping or overflow from some source. In John's words, either from God or not. When we read the word spirits, we are to understand this as the source of behavior and belief, the source. On one hand, the Holy Spirit... God's promised seal on the believer, the promised helper sent by Christ to dwell in us, the source and seal of our relationship to the Father, and on the other hand, we have the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of this age, the Holy Spirit and the Antichrist. When we confess Christ and we believe and are given the Holy Spirit, the helper, his attributes, his desires, his will are given to us through the Holy Spirit. Only through the Holy Spirit and his power have we been changed. Our old nature has been removed and is being filled with the Holy Spirit's. This is the spirit by which believers live out God's will. And many have claimed and will claim to have that Holy Spirit. So the obvious problem that John now addresses is that of validity. And therefore, he gives us a test in order to help us. So verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we have a clear warning here of something more than just sin and worldly desires. As we step back and look at the purpose of this letter, we see a warning of discernment throughout. Not only in our own lives just as believers, but in discerning true believers. If someone claims Jesus as their savior, their lives should pass the spirit test. My life should pass it. Your life should pass the spirit test. When an outspoken believer or teacher or preacher is teaching the gospel, teaching, if I'm up here and teaching, we have a heavier responsibility on scripture laid on us. In fact, that's what scripture says in James 3.1. Uh, Actually, right before teaching about the taming of the tongue, which is very apropos, it's, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And that's a heavy burden. In John's day, just as in our day today, there were teachers and believers who would claim Christ, like I said, but their actions and doctrine was contrary to this spirit test. So here, John instructs us to be healthy skeptics. We don't believe every spirit. We're to test them. As Jesus says in Matthew ten sixteen. innocent as doves, shrewd as serpents. This is not something that we're supposed to be walking around naively and blindly believing everyone that says, well, I know, I know Jesus. John says, many false prophets have already gone into the world. It is this group specifically that John warns us of. When you see the words false prophet here, uh, the Greek explanation of this is a false or lying interpreter of divine will. It's just that, a false or lying interpreter of divine will. When you or I apply scripture to our lives, this is a form of divine interpretation. If someone asks my opinion on a biblical matter and I give them a scriptural interpretation... I am being a sort of prophet. That's as simple as that. doesn't mean you always have to predict the future, predict the past. It's just as simple as divine interpretation. So if I take scripture and I twist it, I interpret it in a way that does not align with other scripture, Uh, if I make allowances for sinful behavior or manipulate and take out of context verses for my financial benefit, I would be a false prophet. As benign as excusing behavior, or as extreme as extorting others, scripture has been abused and falsified by many, many, many times over the years already. Paul in Second Timothy warns of it this way this is Second Timothy four, three through four. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is a section about teaching the gospel in times of good and times of bad. And he warns here that there is a time where people just want to hear what they want to hear. So the warning here is, is more than just an awareness of the lying and the abuse of the false teachers because John states, test the spirits. This is a a spiritual lens that we can apply or uh, a spiritual x-ray. We're looking deeper into the source of the falsehood, the spiritual reality of the deception. John is removing the physical worldview for a moment, giving us a glimpse of the real world, one by which people produce fruit either from a rotten root or from an eternal one, where behavior is the direct result of the master we serve. We are obedient to our flesh, or to righteousness, we are, are we children of disobedience or obedience? Those are the similarities. All throughout the Proverbs, all throughout the Psalms, we see contrasts between, in Proverbs, the fool and the one who follows wisdom, and in Psalms, the evildoer, and then the psalmist crying out for God. There's always this dichotomy, there's always this, this, this clear black and white picture of one or the other. So then, let's get into the test. Verse 2. By this, you know the Spirit of God. This is the criteria. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in flesh is from God. This might be a curious first test. This, is, this might be odd to say that that's the first part of the test, but we have to remember the whole point of this book is rebuking false teaching about who Jesus was, uh, where he came from, where we come from, the nature of sin, etc. Uh, we're we're We've gone over this before that 1 John is about rebuking the the Gnostic uh, cult that was kind of coming into the church. They basically believe that the flesh in itself is sinful. Therefore, if you're in the flesh, you do whatever you want to do. Sin as much as you want. And therefore, if flesh is sinful, Jesus being holy and perfect could never have been actually incarnate in the flesh. So part of their teaching was that Jesus never came as a human being at all. He was just kind of some kind of spirit. So there was two parts to that. There's that you can do whatever you want as a sinful person. And then the second half, which is Jesus never came incarnate. So the first criterion we see here is confession of the true Jesus, mainly for that uh, kind of rebuke of the Gnostics, but it's a little more important for that as well for for other reasons. So John opens his letter with a direct rebuke to any deviation. This is 1 John 1, 1 through 2. This is the very beginning. If you go back to chapter 1, he's talking about the physical experience he had with Jesus. This is what he says, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to you. So we have seen, heard, touched, made manifest. It is the, his testimony, his personal testimony to the physicality, to the actual uh, incarnation of Christ as a human being, which is important. So that's, that's exactly how he opens his letter. First out of the gate is rebuking immediately that false teaching. Then Paul, in other letters, makes a connection to the law and why it's important to satisfy the law that Christ came as a human being. So Galatians 4, 4 through 5, this is what Paul says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as son. Again, born of a woman in physical form. And then later here in Romans. This is Romans 5, 12, and 17. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and death so spread to all men because all sinned. For if because of one man's trespasses death reigned through that one man, much more will we who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So there's a deeper connection to the law and the reason for his humanity. And then later on, the writer of Hebrews in 4:14 4, through 16 connects another part of Christ's humanity in the role of high priest. Hebrews four, fourteen through sixteen. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we re- may receive mercy and find grace in the help, in the time of need. So we have all these pictures of Christ as a human being. Let me be very clear. Satan would have you remove the humanity of Christ just as quickly as his divinity. The humanity of Christ is extremely important to our salvation. The mysterious alignment of 100% man and 100% God is our mercy. A perfect sacrifice that represents man, as seen in Romans, And as you see through the Gospels, when Jesus calls himself the son of man or the completion of man, and a perfect and eternal God capable of undertaking wrath, suffering and dying and resurrecting as the promise of our resurrection. Again, we have that sacrifice in our place as humanity and then that resurrection which sealed our promise. As I was talking to the high schoolers this past Sunday, it's great that Jesus died on the cross, but if he didn't rise from the dead, we'd all be wondering if it still worked. We'd be going... Okay, let's hope that worked. But him rising from the dead on the third day gives us that full assurance of where we are headed as well. When it comes to who Jesus is, we will not compromise, we will not deviate because he holds my salvation. I'm not gonna argue with the guy who made the rules. All right, Jesus, that's how it is. I trust you, you hold my salvation. Verse three, who is not from God? And every spirit... Who that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. So here it is. Here's the reality that's behind the curtain. When these false prophets teach, they do so because of who they serve. In Ephesians, Paul explains this reality. He gives us the famous armor of God, the spiritual defense against spiritual battles. And sometimes we read those, and it feels like a nice sentiment to put on in the morning. But the reality of the armor of God is it is a spiritual armor for the spiritual battle. If he told us about physical armor to put on, we should be putting that on. But instead, it's a spiritual one. So Ephesians six eleven through 12. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the real battlefield. In 1 Corinthians, Paul gives another similar contrast, just as John did. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand these things freely given to us by God. So again, all throughout the New Testament we have this dichotomy, is that it's either the Spirit of the world or the Spirit of God. And then again in Ephesians, in, in an earlier passage, this is two one through 3 And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, read this, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." So last week, David mentioned that believers are to be described as having the fruits of the Spirit, meaning the outward traits representing the Holy Spirit's residence inside the fruit. And as for the other kind, John says here they are the spirit of the Antichrist. There's either the fruit of the Spirit or the lesser-known fruits, the fruits of the Antichrist, the ones that we once all walked in, as Paul puts it, passions of our flesh, carrying out desires of our body and mind. So the Antichrist, literally opposite Christ, Antichrist, the enemy of God, in black and white terms, laying out what it means to deny Jesus in his incarnation. I think sometimes we give a soft blow to some of these ideas. We don't like to look at these and and the events going on in our world and think, yeah, that's Satan. Yeah, we kind of give it a little bit of a softer touch, and we go, oh, you know, it's just bad people being bad, or you know, maybe people have good intentions, but they're doing something else. But in Scripture, we find two clear ideas, that what you do is either from the Holy Spirit or it's from the spirit of this world. Kind of explains a lot of things that are going on all the time, doesn't it? It's either the spirit of the Antichrist or the Holy Spirit. So as far as the Antichrist John says he is already here. You have heard that he is coming, and he is already here. He has been here ever since the garden. He has inspired kings and rulers and politicians ever since. But even more insidiously, he is the spiritual father of all who deny Christ. Again, this may seem a harsh distinction, but it is here for a reason. It is the first criteria of the spirit test. So verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. All right, this is our good news. This, we had this horrible picture of the antichrist and all the power he had, but now here is our assurance. Through the spirit of though the spirit of the antichrist inspires many evils, we live in the finished work of Christ. Paul writes in Romans eight. 37 through 39, this reassuring promise. And I I would ask you to write this down or go to it. It's Romans 8, 37 through 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the verse that you want to put on your fridge in the morning. (laughs) That's the one you want to go to. I am grateful for assurances such as this. The world is full of so much pain, senseless destruction, and evil. Just as many of the psalmists have lamented, it seems always that the selfish and the wicked end up on top. I would say a majority of the psalms you read are people crying out and pointing to the evildoers in the world and saying, why, oh, why are they on top? And then you read and you kinda skip to the end of it and you see the psalmist come back and and understand that they're not on top. They may have a little bit of victory here in this short time, but that's not where the real victory is. So this is what the reality is. He who is in us is much greater than he who is in the world. The victories of the world are not true victory. 2,000 years ago when our savior died and rose from the tomb is where our victory really lies the victory over sin, over death, over the enemy of of our souls. This is the greatest victory. Nobody, no human can conquer sin or death. That is the true battle. So we are following in the footsteps of a conqueror who already defeated sin and death. If any of you guys have a solution to sin and death, awesome. Raise your hand. Let me know. But I'm pretty sure you don't. So that's how we are greater than the world, because of the one who is in us, because he has already done the deed he has won for us. I think oftentimes we read the first part, maybe verse 3, and we we kind of look at the news and we look at world events going on and going, well, maybe that's the Antichrist and and maybe this is going on and it's all terrible and things are going bad for me, but we don't look at verse 4, which is the assurance. I know too often, especially in this past political season and even in this present one, Our hopes are often misaligned. What we look to is just that previous verse in verse 3. We're looking at the conquest that the enemy has already made. We're looking at the worldly gains that the enemy has made over us, and we really don't look at that assurance. We don't look back on that promise that's been given us. Even those of us who have been saved for some time, we often skip over the Gospels when we're reading. When we're doing our home Bible study with our families or we're just by yourself, sometimes we just kind of skip over the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, get it past that, and maybe I just want to go see what Paul has to say. But the gospel is such an important story to know and to have handy when the enemy comes whispering lies into your ears. It's the most powerful story ever written. It's the story of our assurance, our salvation verse 5. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. In identifying spirits, we can know them by who they obey. If someone claims Christ but looks and sounds like the world around them, serious questions arise. And that's the point of this test, isn't it? It's not only just for ourselves, but it's in discerning the spirits around us. We often kind of maybe take it for granted if someone tells us, yeah, I'm a Christian or whatever. All right, you go on your way. Have a nice day. You know, maybe you see this sticker on the back as the fish, not of this world, whatever. But the test is important because we're not supposed to be naive. We're not supposed to succumb to this. And so this little caveat here is they speak from the world and the world listens to them. And to me, it drove me to the question, well, What does does the, the world sound like, right? But again, we must put this into a spiritual perspective to understand this. If we merely look at outward behavior, we see the results. When we recognize the spiritual nature underneath, we see the source. What spirit lies under each person? By what spirit are they being obedient to? And as I was studying this, I was kind of thinking about myself, how often do I think about this? Um, one of my favorite uh, theologians and philosophers, C.S. Lewis, often talks about how the kingdom of God, the eternal realm that we are going into, that's the real world. And everything here is just, just not quite right. It's not not quite there. It's, it's just a shadow or a shimmer of what we have to come. This is not quite real life. Uh, you probably heard the phrase, you know, this is not my home. We are sojourners. So John is asking us, put on these spiritual x-rays, look into what is truly going on underneath. Recently, a bill was passed in Texas. By the grace of God, a law was signed into law. A bill was signed into law. It was banning abortion after six weeks. It's the heart bill. And that's an amazing accomplishment. I love that. The sad part about it is that we have to do that. The sad part is that we have to go back and rescind some of these freedoms that we've given people to do. One quote stood out to me particularly sad as the uh, kind of the, the objections and the backlogs came to light over social media. It was a recent high school graduate; she was 18 years old. She said this quote. It is very sad to see. It is so heart-wrenching that so many people in Texas have a fundamental human right taken away from them today. That is in her response to the abortion ban, that it is sad and heartbreaking. For this individual, the banning of the abortion is, quote, sad and heart-wrenching. How do you get to a point as an 18-year-old that you think, not killing someone is sad. How, can anyone explain that in human terms? Now, there's so much propaganda and there's so much misinformation that goes into our school systems and to our young people, but this is more than that. Like, we should look to what John has to say, like we said earlier, is that there's something deeper, internal, in a spiritual sense happening in that person's life If anyone thinks that banning abortion is sad and heartbreaking, they are not speaking from the Holy Spirit. There's no way. And they're not just speaking on a human sense of, uh, ah, you know, I just like rights and people do what they want to do. It's way more than that. And this is what we need to look at. It's a stark reality of the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the enemy. That is Satan's words speaking out of the the mouth of an 18-year-old. And it's maybe something that we don't look to too often. Maybe we look at some of the older celebrities and politicians in our world and go, oh, yeah, that could be from Satan. But we don't look at some of the people around us and the actions of individuals and the movements in our world, and we don't quite look at that in a spiritual framework. Heart-wrenching, I can't believe it. So they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Have you noticed the world isn't really listening to you anymore? Have you noticed the change in your friend groups, in your social groups? People, what they listen to, what they believe—it's almost just completely backwards. You'll say something, and or you'll hear a conversation, and it sounds just like it's from Upside Down World. You can't believe it. You, you know, you just hear some of the conversations, some of the ideas. You go, "I'm sorry. Where did you? Why, why do you think that? What, what, did we wake up in backwards land? What happened? It's the world. It's." It's the spirit of the antichrist. But again, we gotta go back and see our assurance that the one who is in us has overcome the world. But it is sad. It is sad to see the world not listen. So verse six, the final criteria, the second criteria here, it's who do we obey? We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There it is. The second criteria obedience to God, His word, and His people. This is how we discern the fake from the genuine. These two tests the confession of the true Jesus and obedience. Obedience is the second criteria. John 10, 27, 28 says this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's Jesus. So if the world listens to the world, they're not listening to the shepherd. So for us, who do you obey? Who do you listen to? Do you know your shepherd's voice? Are you able to distinguish it and all the noise that's going on. It's just as simple as those two. The first being holding Christ to who Christ is. We're not saying he's anybody different. It's not just some man. He's not just some you know, good teacher out there. He has to be both God and man if you or I need to be saved. And then the second part, which is obedience. The simplest and hardest one. <laughs> Easier said than done, as we always say. So how what does it take? How do we obey? It says, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And what Jesus said is, my sheep hear my voice. Do you know his voice? Do you know what he's saying to you? Do you know what he has for you? The ultimate answer is found in scripture. We have to know what he has to say for us. Are we studying diligently? Are we praying and listening urgently for his voice? If you were trying to make it in this world without Scripture and prayer, you're not going to make it far. It is a very, very difficult thing to try to walk through a desert without a source of water. Where we're living now is the desert. It's Egypt. It's a world of sin. And we have to be clinging to the truth so we can know and discern what the truth is when we meet it as well. Because again, the point and purpose of this letter is discernment, is understanding who Christ followers really are. And it should cause you to look inward as well. You know, I've read 1 John many times, and as a kid, it was kind of stark. It was a little bit, oh my gosh, I've sinned once, and I must not be a Christian. But throughout the book, we have reassurances of grace through Christ. This is not just a uh, a legal argument of, of legalism of you have to be perfect and you must never mess up, not even one time, because that would be a misunderstanding of what Christ did on the cross, that would be putting him to death again and again and again. We must understand grace as much, but we also have to understand who is a true follower as well. You can know yourself pretty good, you know you can know yourself okay but it's pretty darn hard to know other people, to know their true inner intentions. So you can know where you're at. You can take this test for yourself, but this is also applicable looking outward, who you follow, who you listen to, right? Because what this says is that whoever is not from God does not listen to us. There are people, individuals, who are going to be speaking out God's truth. I'm up here on a Wednesday night. Hopefully I'm saying exactly what the Bible has in line for me. But if I was saying something different, something contrary, you can apply this test to what I'm saying and say, ah, nope, that's wrong. This is what scripture says right here. What you said is incorrect. So we also have other people and other individuals that we're listening to and walking in life with. I don't think it would be a very good idea to try to just go out and never listen to anybody. Oh, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. There's a lot of people that try to do that. (laughs) They don't get very far. So unfortunately, we're stuck together as a team. The uh, the scriptures point to the body of Christ. We all are one body under the head of Christ. So we do have to interact with one each other, each other once in a while. We do have to listen to one another, and it should be under the auspices of Christ. So by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So where does the spirit of error lead? Matthew seven, fifteen through twenty. This is Jesus. "'Beware of false prophets who will come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit. But the deceased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit.' Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. That's the uh, spirit of error, if you were wondering. Cut down and thrown into the fire. This is the simple truth. We bear the fruit of the spirit within us. There are only two spirits. The Holy Spirit or the spirit of the Antichrist. The discerning of these, John bids us do carefully with a spirit test. Who is Jesus and do you obey him? Those are the criteria. Did you pass? (laughs) Jesus said himself, the ones filled with the Holy Spirit are given eternal life. And the ones bearing bad fruit from a diseased tree will be cast into the fire. So that's it. The Holy Spirit or the Spirit of the Antichrist. Those are the two options available. You don't get to choose something in between. (laughs) Today is the day of salvation. Christ has been offered in your place. Righteousness before God is available as a free gift. So if you've taken this test yourself for those two criteria and you found that you have not passed or have not ever passed or or will never pass, I bid you look to Christ as your Savior. Because the two two questions in this test are, who is Jesus? And the second question is, do you obey him? So you have to know who he is. You have to know where he came from and why he came, and then obedience. When we say, Lord, that capital L-O-R-D, We don't really have any kind of lords in our political structure these days, so it's something of an abstract phrase for us, but lord is a title of superiority. It's a title of someone who you serve, who you are under. So do you serve him? If it said in the Bible it was boss, we might think of that a little bit more, (laughs) with a little bit more fear and reverence if it said boss, but it's saying lord. Lord. It's even higher than your boss. Sorry to say that. (laughs) So it's obedience to that. It's your Lord. So if you have taken this test and you have not passed, salvation is available. The gospel is simply this, that we are sinners, that we deserve hell. But God in his mercy offered up Jesus Christ in our place and that When we put our faith in him, calling him our master, calling him our Lord and saying, Lord, I have sinned, we have the opportunity to be saved. So as we go about the rest of our week, I pray that we look at this spirit test just once in a while, that we can look back and see who we're listening to, see what kind of influences we have uh, and who is influencing over us. Uh, because it's here. It's in Scripture for our benefit. And whether you are testing yourself and wondering where you're going, or you are testing spirits elsewhere, we are bid to take this test and understand. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for the assurance that you have given us through Christ. Lord, I thank you so much that we have the opportunity to be on the winning side, that you have already defeated sin, you have already defeated death, we have the opportunity to walk in that. I pray that we understand and have that assurance, and as we go forward, as we test and test ourselves and understand that grace, first and foremost, and secondly, understand the spiritual realities of this world. And I pray for those who are not with us tonight and online, I pray that they are also benefited from this. Lord, keep us safe as we go from here and keep us in your word. Amen.